certainly an honor and a pleasure to uh, uh, stand before you this morning and give a le uh, lesson from the Holy Scriptures. You know, we are we are truly blessed to again be uh, called the children of God um, for a number of different reasons. Um, one of those being that uh, we have an opportunity to call the Almighty God our Father, uh, which is certainly nothing to uh, wink an eye at. Um, but we also have the ability to uh, be heirs of the promise. And uh, as we all know in the book of Genesis, when Abram, Abram, if you will, was visited by an angel of God, he was promised to him that he and his seed, or through his seed, all nations would be blessed. Um, the promise to him was that his seed, um, which would be as the sands on the seashore, would inhabit the land overflowing with milk and honey, this land that later became, uh, later uh, was named or became Zion. And Zion is a beautiful place. Um, that spiritual Zion, as, as we know it to be in uh, the book of Revelations, chapter 21, will be a place where there is no sorrow. Um, there aren't any tears. Oh, and it is a place where there will be no regret. And that's really uh, the title of my lesson this morning is, is the regret. The very word regret just has a, when you speak it out of your tongue, regret. It just doesn't, it, it's not uh, pleasant to say, um, just, you know, the re-gret. You know, I think about gret and grit and grimy and, you know, all the things that start with gree, um, you know, it just makes me, it's almost like, you know, when, you, when you're outside and you get uh, some dust on your face and you start to chew and you get a little bit of that gritty sand, it's like, man, I wish I hadn't opened my mouth, or... When that wind had blown my direction, I wish I'd really turned my back and not chewed on all this dirt. Um, but in heaven, there won't be any regret. And I, I got to thinking about the gravity of how beautiful it will be to live eternally without regret. And if you understand what regret is, you'll understand also that regret is... is implies really that I'm looking into the past and I'm reflecting upon some mistakes that I made mm -hmm. back yesterday. You know, maybe not, uh, maybe not a, a minute ago, maybe not yesterday, but maybe months, weeks, mm -hmm. decades, centuries ago, right? It's that, that, that backward looking and, and looking back and saying, you know what, I wish if I could go back into the past, and correct something that I did, or say something differently, or act a different way, I would, I'd like to be able to do that. And when I think back on those mistakes, on those decisions that maybe weren't sound, I'm overcome with feelings of regret. There's shame involved. There's grief involved. Um, there's guilt, certainly, involved. Now, there's two types of regret. There's uh, regret born out of ignorance, and there's regret born out of foolishness. Um, Heather, uh, uh, Sister Gardner was watching this show, and uh, the, the gentleman on the show said, and this is hilarious, but 
um, there is some truth to it that uh, ignorance is correctable, but stupid is forever. <laughs> and uh, it, it is it is comical, but there is certainly some truth in that. And in the context of regret, you know, we can look back on our younger years when we didn't know better, and we're like, oh man. I wish I hadn't done that. If I knew now, if I knew, if I knew what I know now back then, I probably wouldn't have made that mistake. I probably wouldn't have said that. I probably wouldn't have done it. And then there are some regrettable moments when you knew you shouldn't have done that, right? You knew better, but you did it anyway. And you think back, how foolish was I? How stupid was I? If I can use that word, that'll be the last time I use it. And the reason being is because I couldn't use that word in my mom's house. She popped me upside the head. Regrettable moment. <laughs> but regret can be born out of two different instances, right? Where you just didn't know better, but now you do. And regret can also be born out of those moments when you knew better, but you did something the contrary. And I'm here to, to tell you that all of us have felt those two different types of regret. Now here's what I'll tell you is that the regret born about out of ignorance, while it is regrettable, while it does invoke emotions of grief, emotions of pain and guilt, it is bearable. Right? I mean, you can just yeah. say, you know what, I, I just didn't know better. Now I know I shouldn't have done that, but hey, I have an excuse. I did it out of ignorance. I'm smarter and wiser now. But it's those moments where you did wrong and you knew you shouldn't have done it that just that just really sticks with you. I mean, it's like a canker. It's like a sore. It just kind of festers with you every single moment. I mean, you can forget about it for a moment, but it'll be those moments where it comes right back and then it just pains you to even reflect upon it. And here's where I'll, I'll, a great example of that is in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles this morning... Um, we'll reflect back on Adam and Eve. And the regrettable moment of Eve and Adam, for that matter, or actually, let's say Adam and Eve, for that matter, eating of the forbidden fruit. And uh, it says in Genesis chapter 3 that after they had eaten that fruit, it says in verse number 7 of Genesis chapter 3, that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. And what did they do? They saw that they were naked and they were shamed as a result of their nakedness. And they took fig leaves and tied it about themselves to cover um, their, uh, their private parts. It says in verse number 8, And they heard a voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, it's a, rhetor it's a rhetorical question that God asks in the preceding verse. He says, <laughs> where art thou? Now, God knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what happened. But he wanted to give Adam and Eve a moment to come clean, if you will. And give them a moment... To, he, he wanted to play along with this mind, the, this whole charade. I don't want to say charade, but this experience to teach them a lesson. So we asked them a question. Uh, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
Again, another rhetorical question. And he said, God, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And in verse 12, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. You know, in moments where we have feelings of regret, immediately after we know we shouldn't have done something, we did it anyway, what do we do? We play this game called the blame game. And in this particular instance, Adam felt it was convenient to blame God, or really to, yes, he did blame God, but he started off by blaming the woman. He said, God, it was that woman, by the way, that you gave to be with me, that uh, gave me of this fruit. And the woman, after God had questioned her, said, it's not my fault, it's Satan, the serpent. He beguiled me to do X, Y, and Z. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, um, Paul tells us that we will be judged on the things that we do in our bodies, whether they be good or bad. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the context to which that he uh, gives this particular verse is the very beginning. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive of the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. We all have to give an account. We all have to really stand up and take ownership of maybe some of the ignorant things that we've done or some of the foolish things that we've done, but we have to give an account yes. before God. It is purposed for every man and woman to do that. In this moment, where Adam and Eve are standing before the judgment seat of God, what do they do? They played the blame game. And they blamed other people for their transgressions. They knew what they should have done or shouldn't have done and they did the very opposite of that. It goes on to say in Genesis uh, chapter 3, <clears throat> in verse 22, and it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent, forth, sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove him out, so he drove out the man, and he placed him at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubim, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, here's what I'll say, is they were in a place of paradise. Everything was provided to them, and because of their transgression, it says that God removed them from the garden. When they think about that day, now think about it for a second. Adam and Eve are out in the wilderness somewhere outside the Garden of Eden, 
And they reflect upon that day that they ate of the tree of the knowledge, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What emotions do you think come to mind? Or, you know, those moments where Adam is, you know, taking that, that hula ho and, you know, he's trying to clear the weeds out of this garden, which, you know, the Garden of Eden can't compare to his garden, but... The gardens aren't, the, the carrots just aren't as orange as they were in the Garden of Eden, right? The, the apples just aren't as juicy as they were in the Garden of Eden. And in those moments where he reflects upon how good he had it in the Garden of Eden, I would say that he has yes. feelings of regret. Yes. And, and this is a regret that he can't shake. Because God commanded him not to eat. He said God commanded, told him, you can eat the, the fruit of every tree. Every tree in here. But don't touch the, free, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew he shouldn't have done it. And he did it anyway. And in those moments, that's an unshakable feeling of regret. Second Peter <clears throat> And actually, before we get there, since you're in the book of Genesis, go over to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, in verse number 5, um, it reads, and this is the, the story of Noah and the great flood, as you're well aware. It says, God saw the wickedness of man, and that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil, was only, excuse me, only evil continually. And it repented the Lord. I got to thinking about what it means to repent. Or, you know, the precursors to repentance. And in this particular moment, God seeing his creations and the evil that they were thinking and doing continually... He had feelings of regret. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling of regret led him to, as it says in verse number 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, even God. Now, God is not a human like we are. So God's feelings of regret and repentance and grief are, you know, can't be compared to, to ours. To put us in the same category or the feelings of regret that we have in the same category of regret that God had, it's not comparable, right? Because God is the Almighty. He's a spirit. But in this particular moment, even at God's level of regret, came two things. Repentance and grief. And what did he do? He did something about it. Even God did something about it. And what did he do? In verse number 7, he says, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth. And not just man, but beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air. I'm going to wipe it clean. For it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of of the Lord. Now, in 1 Peter, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, let's turn over there real quick. 
Uh, did I say First Peter? I meant uh, Second Peter. My apologies. Second uh, Peter. Let's look at uh, what is it? Uh, verse uh, chapter two. Peter chapter 3. My apologies. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 20. Peter, in talking about baptism in particular, he talks about what we just read in Genesis chapter 3 about the process through which God destroyed the earth. It, were, he was, it was regrettable. He repented, he had grief, he acted upon that, and he destroyed the earth except for eight souls. And it says in verse number 20 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Which sometime were disobedient. He's talking about um, those, who, those who do not, uh, who did not obey the gospel of Christ, and who later did. He said, with some time were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doeth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to ask you to reflect upon uh, one man in particular by the name of Saul. Now Saul was a man who acted in ignorance. It says in uh, Acts chapter 9 that he was a man who was out there persecuting the church. As a matter of fact, while he was on the road to Damascus, um, he was going to deliver death warrants or arrest warrants, if you will, to Christians and when he was met by Jesus Christ. It says that when he was met by Jesus Christ on that particular road, Jesus asked him the question, Why do you persecutest thou me? And Paul's, Saul's response was, How did I do so? Well, he did so by persecuting the very men and women that Christ died on the cross to save. It goes on to say that Saul, upon visiting being visited by Jesus Christ, accepted the gospel and was baptized and became an apostle. Do you think Paul, when he reflected upon Saul, who later became Paul, or who is also called Paul, as the scripture tells us, when he reflected upon those moments where he was persecuting the church of Christ, did he have feelings of regret? I'm sure he did. But he did so in ignorance, because he didn't know. He did not know that doing what he did was the wrong thing to do. If you, if you, if you have any doubts of that, you can go back and read the book of Acts, where it says that Paul, Paul describes himself as someone who is zealous. Zealous for what? He, he persecuted the church with the zealousness of a Jew. But when he came to know the gospel of Christ, he was zealous 
after a godly sort. And what did he do? He rededicated his life. He rededicated his purpose to not persecuting the church, but actually going out there and evangelizing the church. That was easy to shake up. But here's one thing that couldn't be shaken was the conscience, this guilt that he carried with him. If you don't understand that, reflect upon your own life and upon the things that you did prior to becoming a Christian. If you, <clears throat> if you think upon those things and those ways that you act, I'm sure there are feelings of regret, even to the extent that it's just really difficult and hard to even think about those things. You don't even want to think about the life that you lived before you became a Christian because it, it stirs up those emotions. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is delivering the Pentecostal sermon, he brings those Jews that were at that time, he brings them to the feeling of regret. And it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 in particular, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were pricked in their heart. What are those feelings of being pricked? The same feelings that... Um, Paul went, Saul went through when he was visited by Jesus Christ. The same feelings, no doubt, that Adam and Eve had when they were reflecting upon how good they had it in the Garden of Eden is feelings of regret, remorse, grief, sorrow. And because of those feelings, they asked the question, as it says in verse 37, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, feelings of regret are good if they lead to action. Mm -hmm. If they lead to action. In 2 Corinthians, in particular, where it talks about grief, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians um, the the seventh chapter. Paul has just written a letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, the first uh, first Corinthians was that first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And what were the Corinthians doing there? Um, if you go back and look at the first chapter, first Corinthians, it said that. There was divisions commonly reported um, amongst the congregants there. There's a lot of fornication going on. There was a unique form of fornication going on in that a son was sleeping with his father's wife. And everybody thought that was okay. They allowed that to continue on. So not only were there fornication, there was division amongst them. It goes on to say that they weren't preaching and, and living righteously. Um, as a matter of fact, what did he tell them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse uh, 23 about the Lord's Supper? He was saying that there were even some of them who were taking the Lord's body and his shed blood in an unrighteous manner. Amen. He also said that um, when the congregants came together for worship, some were eating and some were starving. Some were chewing on a ham sandwich while others 
had need and all day. And so there was some animosity going on there. So he wrote this letter. And in 2 Corinthians, um, in chapter 7 in particular, he says in verse number 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this condemn you, for I have said before, what ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. And he goes on to talk about, you know, um, all the things that he's, all the work that they had done as a result of his first visit. Remembering that Paul isn't there. He's not actually in Corinth when he writes his second letter. He actually gets a report back from Timothy about all the things that they had done in order to correct their unrighteous ways. And so he goes on to say in chapter 7, starting at verse number 8, he says, For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. What he's saying here is he's saying, it was a scathing letter, I know. It hurt, I get it. But I'm not sorry that I wrote it, because what? It made you sorry, it brought up feelings of regret. Now, these folks were doing this regret, some out of ignorance, but some were doing this regrettable thing uh, willingly. Now, in the scripture reading that uh, Brother Garner uh, read for this morning, that last verse, I think, really hits home for me. In uh, James, what was it, chapter chapter 4, chapter yes, 3? Chapter, it was chapter 4, and this is 13 to 17, I believe. Okay. I think it was chapter 3. Um, but the ver- chapter four, okay, the very last verse there. What, what is it? What does it say, uh, Brother Garner? It says, "Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth doeth it not, to him it is sin." Mm-hmm. Read that again, just just so we get it. Okay. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay. Sin is a transgression of the law of God, mm-hmm. by definition, right? And this is just another attribute of that definition that I think we just need to make sure that we put in our back pocket that if we know to do good and we do it not, we are transgressing the will of God. We are transgressing. It is sin. And with that in mind, the church at Corinth was doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing, like committing fornication. I mean, that's 101. Righteous living 101. (laughs) I mean, in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul goes on to tell them, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the living God? He goes on to tell them in that same book that your body is not made for fornication, but it is made for God. I mean, those are basic things, right? And so they knew to do good, and they did it not, so they were sinning. And in 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 7, it says, Now I rejoice, not that I made, not that you were made sorry, but that you were sorrowed to repentance. 
For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage of us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. We all have regrettable moments. We have all done things we're not proud of. Uh, I can't use that word. We have all done things that we are not uh, pleased that we did. Yes. And Paul, even in this moment of correction, this moment of stirring up these feelings of regret, he's trying to get them to do something about it. Here's what I'll tell you. The past is the past. You know, uh, Jesus tells us in, in, in I, if, I, if I had it off the top of my head, I'd give it to you, but if you don't, if you doubt me, go up, go ahead and look it up. You'll find it. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But what Jesus says is that no one who is worthy of his kingdom, yes. who sets his hand at the plow, mm -hmm. looks back. Amen. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Why did Jesus say that no man who is worthy of his kingdom, who sets his hands to do the work of God, focuses on looking backwards. Well, because feelings of regret can bog you down if you don't do anything about it. Yeah. Feelings of regret will keep you where you're at today and will never allow you to get better tomorrow. <clears throat> if, you have, if, you, if you're reading here again, what Paul is saying is that this regret, this sorrowfulness, needs to work you towards the point of getting better, to repentance. Mm -hmm. He says in verse number 11, For behold, this selfsame, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it brought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all these things... Ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You know, the, the idea here being is that feelings of regret are good if it prompts us to do something. But feelings of regret, just wallowing in them, just reflecting on them, are never a good thing as long as you are doing something with it. I regret... I regret... A number of different things. But I use them as a learning moment. I use them as a tool to get better. And you know what? What do they say? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And the idea there, or the saying there, is that once I fall into that regrettable moment, once I do something that I know I shouldn't do, and I have those feelings, I won't ever do it again. Because that is, by definition, the that is repentance by definition. If you go on and read here, <clears throat> in verse number 12, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for this cause that, excuse me, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we are comforted in your comfort, yea, 
and exceedingly the more joy we sorry and and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For I have boasted, for if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found in a, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you while Whilst he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. And he's talking about how he heard about these things from Titus, how they corrected their ways, and he had a feeling of confidence. And here's the feeling of confidence that we can have as well, is when those moments of regret, we do something about it and we learn from it, and we keep moving. There's a passage of scripture that I, I just want to just leave with you as we conclude uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let's, uh, let's start reading at uh, verse number 7. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 7, it says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. What does that mean to you when you hear those words? And actually, let me, let me finish the verse just so we can get... Just so we can get the context here. Again, in verse number 7, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. You know, wisdom and understanding all start with the fear of the Lord. You know that Proverbs chapter 1 tells us that very, uh, very clearly. But in, it's funny that the wisest man that lived at that time, Solomon, is saying that oppression makes a wise man crazy. It's, it's unsettling to go through oppressive times when you're wise. Because why is that? Because you think that as a result of being wise, that your life is going to be hunky-dory. That as a result of your wisdom, that you are going to make every right decision in any moment. That is, certain, that is not the case. You are not going to make the right decision all the time in every single moment of your life. You're going to make, because we live in the flesh, because we are imperfect human beings because of our flesh, we will, in, in all likelihood, we will make mistakes. And every time we make mistakes and reflect upon that mistake, there will be feelings of regret. And those feelings of regret, again, are healthy as long as you do something with it. Amen. As long as you learn from it. God, the Almighty God, created every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. And even He, the Almighty, repented. He said He had feelings of repentance or feelings of regret. So much so that it repented Him that He had made man. 
But did he languish in those feelings? If God has, and obviously God does not have human feelings the way we have human feelings, but even so, he did something about it. He did something about it. And the lesson is true for each and every one of us that we also need to do something about it. It goes on to say in verse 8, I'm just going to read a couple verses here. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for angry resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou, wast, for thou doest not inquire wisely concerning this. It says it right there. We can reflect back on the former days and ask, you know, why aren't, why isn't the past as good as it is today? Can you do something about the past? Do you have a time machine? Even if you did have a time machine and you went back and you told yourself, Thomas, don't say that because in a week's time you're going to regret it. Is your life going to change? Have you learned as a result of that mistake? If you could go back and correct all the mistakes that you ever did, would you ever get better? Would you ever grow in your Christianity if you didn't go through all of those times of trials and tribulations and suffering? You wouldn't. So they happen for a reason. As long as you do something about it. So the lesson is yours this morning. If you can reflect upon your life yesterday or the day before or at some point in the past and, and there was some sin, there was some transgression. You knew to do good, but you did it not. Okay. <clears throat> and you have feelings of regret today. This lesson is exactly for you. If you have sorrowed after a godly sword, it unequivocally should lead to repentance. And the repentance that you should have based on that godly sorrow, as it says in 2 Corinthians, leads you, will lead you to salvation, knowing this, that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, and He's reviewing all the things that you've done in your body, whether they be good or bad, some moments... The things that you've done bad, what are you going to feel? Feelings of regret. Will you have an opportunity to do something about it when you stand before the judgment seat of God? It's too late. You can play the blame game all you want like Adam and Eve, but you're still going to get kicked out of that place of paradise. So while today is today, God be thanked that you have the feelings of regret and... When you have those feelings of regret, you can do something about it. And you are here this morning. You have an opportunity this day to come to God in the spirit of repentance and ask Him for forgiveness. You have the ability today to do something about it. It's up to you. It's entirely up to you. And God, as we, we, sang, we sing that song, God is calling the prodigal son. Come without delay. Hear or hear him calling, calling out for thee. He's calling out for you right now. He's saying if you have feelings of regret, you can, you can get that squared away, resolved, address it today. 
Certainly, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, and you have heard that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you should have feelings of regret. Similar feelings of regret that the Jews had on the day of Pentecost, where they were pricked in their heart, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And what did he respond to them by saying in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, from the remission of all the bad things you've done. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you have feelings of regret this morning, do something about it today. Because tomorrow may never come. Our little brother, I want to say little brother, but our young brother here, what did he say about our lives in the scripture reading? It says our lives are but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. So while you're sitting here today, if you have any feeling of regret, Get it right. Today, do something about it. Now, <laughs> the scripture tells us in 1 John, it tells us a man who says he has no sin, the truth is not in him. You can sit there and say, well, today I don't have any regret. And you very well may be right. You, you may very well have lived Sunday to Sunday without any regret. And kudos to you. Way to go. Keep it up. All glory be to God. Amen. But if you're fooling yourself here today, thinking, well, you know, I did a transgression, but I really don't have a feeling of regret. I did it with good intentions. I smacked that person upside the face with good intentions. Right? I committed a sin, but I did it with the right heart. Right? <laughs> That's right. For we, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory. It doesn't matter your intention. God does not look at our intentions. To the extent of what we just read um, in our scripture reading. James chapter 4 and verse number 17 says, We will be judged on those things that we've done with our bodies, in our bodies. The actions that I have done with this flesh that God has given me. Whether it be good or bad, regardless of my intent. So again, if you have any feelings of regret, please make that right this morning as we stand and sing the song of the Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power?